Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for gathering us together this morning uh, to look into your word, to know more about you, to, uh, um, to understand what your word is and to apply it to our lives. We uh, thank you that uh, we are going to look at what you uh, think are commendable. You tell us are commendable attributes and characteristics of a church and of us as individuals in a body. Um, we ask that we be take these truths into the world and that you would put these truths on our lips as we are with our families and friends over this holiday time. We ask that you bless all those that are here and watch over them. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I am uh, happy to be here. I'm uh, um, humbled, I mean, the, uh, in the fact that I got some pretty big shoes to fill. I know that uh, the uh, caliber of teaching we get every, every Sunday, week after week here is, you know, extraordinary. And uh, you've got the uh, B team, the junior varsity, in today. And uh, I, I beg your indulgence. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll get through this. Um, I... Uh, had the good fortune of uh, coming across or searching our archives on our website, um, and Bob had taught on, the, on this, this uh, section of Scripture, these passages, so I, I uh, used a lot of his uh, research, did a lot of my own, um, but uh, I was thankful for that, and it's a wonderful re- resource to have. I picked these uh, Scriptures here, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 4, um, it came about uh, really through one of our sermon discussion groups. Um, we were looking um, at Eric's sermon from Romans 2, I believe it was 2 through 5. Well, it was a sermon that was titled, um, Are You Storing Up Glory or Wrath? And it was pretty, pretty heavy. Uh, um, and the last scripture reference that we had here uh, was this, in particular, all the way through uh, verse 10. Um, but the question that Eric proposed for us in that the discussion group was, how should these scriptures be a uh, comfort to all believers? And uh, it was, in fact, as we read these scriptures, uh, with that idea in mind, it was a great comfort to us. So um, I was thinking about it, what, what will I teach? I was asked to do this, and I hadn't settled on the subject yet, and it was such a comfort that I said, I think this would be a, a good, it's, it's my hope that it will be a good comforting message for us here today as well. There are, it's, there are some uh, things that always will, I think, uh, um, make us think about and examine ourselves, but generally the, Paul wrote this uh, as uh, an um, encouragement uh, to the Thessalonians, these particular scriptures here. Um, We'll get into it here a little bit. Paul had stayed apprised of the happenings in Thessalonica, and he had gotten an update from the condition of the church. He had been here. He wrote this letter uh, just a few months after he wrote the first one. He had gotten an update, and uh, uh, the church had matured, and it had, had expanded, but pressure and persecution had also increased, and uh, the seeds of some false doctrines had been had been uh, sown, and... Uh, uh, Paul wrote to this beloved flock. He really loved this church. Um, uh, he, he wrote to them because they were discouraged by persecution and uh, they needed incentive to persevere. We're going to look a lot at persecution and perseverance. Um, and also they were deceived by false teachers. 
um, who had confused them about the Lord's return. We're not going to be getting into that. That uh, was a big part of this letter here. It's only three chapters. And also, uh, the other thing you wrote to them about in this uh, uh, letter was they were being disobedient. They were sinning. Some of them were, were confused about uh, uh, the Lord's return. They thought he was, it was, he was coming at any minute, and that was a, a false teaching. They misunderstood that, and so they had quit working, and they were getting unruly and such, and so he wrote, wrote to them about that as well. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the first issue. You know, the, uh, we're going to look at what, what Paul, and uh, through the Holy Spirit, wrote uh, 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 as uh, what a commendable church, uh, some of the characteristics and realities of that are. I'm going to give us a little bit of background. I'm, uh, to me, I won't spend a lot of time here, but we'll look at the, in the Bible, in, the, in, in church history, as Paul was going through, you know, to me it helps. It's just, I like to place, try and place myself, you know, in their time, in their thinking and such. And uh, where do we find the other references to these, uh, you know, Silas or Sylvanus and Timothy as well and how uh, this all played out in history. So uh, it, we'll just look at this very quickly. This was all um, part of, whoops, uh, the, the, Paul visited Thessalonica it, during his second missionary journey. Um, and we find this uh, in Acts 15.26 through uh, 18.22, specifically the reference to uh, uh, Thessalonica uh, Paul's time in Thessalonica was is in uh, Acts 17, uh, 1 through 9. Then he he goes to Berea because they've thrown him, <laughs> they've chased him out of town, uh, persecution. Uh, and, but then they followed him to Berea as well. Uh, they hated him so much and his message so much that they were still... Uh, well, they had already jailed him and let him out, so who knows what, they, what their intention was. But the brothers got him out of Berea, sent him by way of sea, you know, to uh, uh, um, Athens. But let me see, this is backwards here. I got to go right to go left. I always lose my cursor when I do this. But he started out at Antioch, obviously. Um, uh, Jerusalem's down here. Oops, I'm not going to be good at this. Um, anyway, you guys can see in the map, Antioch, everything's backwards. I'm not a dentist. I don't work in a mirror. Um, Antioch there, you can see he traces, which uh, is in top of Syria. He goes through Galatia. All these towns here are all referred to in, in, uh, in the book of Acts here in that particular section, 15 through 18. Um, through Galatia here, which is modern-day Turkey, um, all the way into Greece um, and Macedonia, the area of Macedonia, northern Greece, um, Thessalonica. Uh, he, well, he come, here's Philippi, where he's jailed with Silas. I don't want to uh, use up all my material here, but we make reference to that. We know that he, he were the jailer, Philipp, Philippian jailer, was uh, converted and such. Goes through the towns, gets into Th- Thessalonica. This is in about A.D. 51, 52. Um, and let me refer to my uh, notes here. <clears throat> Thessalonica was one of the two capitals. It was like the northern capital of, um, of uh, Greece in Macedonia. The, the, the other uh, main town or city in uh, Greece is Corinth. And this is where Paul is writing from, writing this letter, uh, is from Corinth. He spent a lot of time there, not a whole lot of time in Thessalonica, maybe about four to six months uh, from what I was 
what I heard, there was all kinds of there's speculation that we'll see in the scriptures if we get in there that it says on three Sabbaths he was uh, that's the only time reference we really have in the scriptures as to how much time he spent there. So there's speculation it could have been as little as a month, but generally thought that he stayed here maybe maybe up to four or six months. I, anybody, Eric, do you know any different? Or, no. Okay. And so, um, anyway, short time. Uh, Thessalonica was founded in about 315 B.C. by one of uh, Alexander's generals. You know, when, when Alexander died, uh, Alexander the Great, um, his kingdom was split up into four parts, and this one of his generals founded this city about 315 B.C., so it's about 365 years after the town was, was settled. When Paul was there, it was, it, you know, this is a, a seaport. You can see that Thessalonica is right on the sea, and it was part of the... Um, I always get this word wrong, the Ignatius Highway, which ran east to west. It connected Rome in the west all the way to uh, the Orient. And um, so it was a very busy, bustling place. There were sailors there, everything else. It was a, it was a tough city. It was, uh, let me see here, get to my notes again. Oh, I'm going to go backwards. Where's my, oh, getting there, Okay. Let's see, it was a place of vice, it was a place of crime, murder was common, prostitution was well organized. Um, lost my notes here again, okay. It was rampant and well organized. Historians tell us the, that uh, there were obscene pictures, you know, that were painted at, even on the walls of the houses. There, it was a very corrupt place. It was a trade town, a town of commerce, and uh, this is the kind of places that Paul went to to spread his gospel, and it was not well received. So we're going to look at uh, Silvanus and uh, Timothy very quickly. This is where we find uh, them mentioned, and we learn some of the things that we do know about them. Um, Silvanus uh, was his Greek or Roman name. Um, these guys, they were, they, were, they were collaborators in the church, co-laborers and, uh, in the church. They founded it. To, uh, they were all together there. They were, these, uh, Silvanus and Timothy were with him when he wrote the epistle in Corinth. And uh, they say that, you know, again, the best time estimate is about A.D. 51 or A.D. 52 uh, uh, that this letter was written. And uh, we can find reference to that. Uh, it was written out of Corinth. We, we can find that reference in a Acts 18.5. Um, if we would like, um, we could turn to, I do have some quick, we won't spend a lot of time here. I'll just, I'll just look. look tell you what these uh, scriptures say myself here. Uh, Silvanus, that is uh, his Roman name. Silas is his Jewish name. He was a faithful partner of Paul. Uh, we'll see in a little bit here when, when uh, actually in Acts 8, 15, 40, that is when Paul um, separates from Barnabas. You remember, Paul was out with Barnabas, and they had a disagreement. They separated, and that's Paul then selected Silvanus Silas to go with him on the second missionary journey. Um, in Acts 15.22, Silvanus is called the chief among the brethren, and that's when, uh, um, after the Jerusalem Council, the council uh, that dealt with, if you remember, um, if... 
well, well, they dealt with circumcision. They dealt with uh, if, if uh, the, the message was for the Jews. I might need a little bit of help here. But we had, what was the All the food laws and such, you know, all the food laws and all the mosaic regulations and such, if they were requirement. Uh, and uh, they wrote a letter and they sent uh, um, Silas off with that. That's what we, we see he was one of the deliverers of that letter as well. That's what we see in Acts 15, 22. Um, and they call him a chief among the brethren there and a leader. Uh, verse 32 states that he was a prophet, 1532. And in verse 40, he's chosen by Paul uh, again when, he, when uh, he and Barnabas had a falling out. So he was um, Paul. He was a wonderful partner of Paul's. Uh, he was in Acts uh, 16, 25 and 26. That's where the account of him being uh, um, jailed in in Philippi with Paul and released from their change when they were singing about midnight. We know we all know that story. Oops. Um, and in Acts 16:37 is where we find out that he was a Roman citizen. Timothy, very quickly, um, in Acts 16:1 through 3 is uh, where we see he is recruited. Um, and in Acts or 1 Timothy 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writes the letter to Timothy, and he calls him my true child in the faith. faith. And um, Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman uh, who was a believer, and his father was Greek. He was Paul's son in the faith, whom he uh, was training uh, to take up the mantle when he passed on. We all know that. Um, I thought with this kind of thing that interesting, I thought I would mention, you know, we have different accounts in, in the book of Acts where one time we see a disciple is, is circumcised and another time we don't. In particular, uh, Timothy was circumcised. Titus was not. And uh, the reason Timothy was, uh, so, he, it was be, so he would have full access to the uh, synagogues and then also that... Um, he would show the Jews that he had not re- renounced his Jewish heritage and that he uh, did not choose to live as a Gentile. You know, so that Paul wanted him to have full access to the synagogues for his teaching. And then Titus, gets, uh, we see in uh, Galatians 2.3, Bob has taught us through all that. He was not circumcised. Um, and it tells us in uh, Galatians 2, 3, but even Titus, this is the scripture now, who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So he's, he's, he's using him as living proof that circumcision and the Mosaic regulations were not prerequisites uh, or components of salvation. So that's, uh, I always would get confused. Okay, now I know Paul circumcised, or Timothy was circumcised when he went out with Paul, and then, and then he said, Paul then later cites, or... Uh, in Galatians sites that uh, Titus was not, and I get those confused, and, I, and uh, so hopefully that'll help you guys remember the, who was and wasn't and why they, they were or were not. Okay, now we'll get into our scriptures here. How am I doing on, on time? I think uh, 25 minutes. Oh, good. We started this early. No, we aren't there yet. I'll keep watching that clock over there. Second Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2 reads, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay, what we're going to do here, spend a little bit of time doing first before we dig too far into the scriptures is this is written to the church. This letter is written to the church, the body of the church. So we're going to define the church here a bit. What does the church uh, look like? What's the idea of the church? Okay, uh, I'm not going to use a lot of Greek because I certainly don't know much, just enough to get myself in trouble probably, but I think we all have heard the term for church enough, ekklesia, um, that is the Greek word for it. And we need to look at this, what the idea of the church is, define the church, and what does Jesus want to see in his churches, and what does the term mean? Ecclesia means an assembly. Simply enough, it's assembly. Um, um, it could be any type of assembly. It was a, either a city assembly or any, anyone who was called together. Uh, we also see Jesus uh, use that term in Matthew 16, 8. And uh, we all know this is the reference where, where Peter makes his confession that he, Jesus is uh, uh, the, the Messiah. And uh, Matthew, or then Jesus says to Matthew, I also say to you that you, Peter, and upon, I don't know why this is changing. I didn't touch anything. Uh, that, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, Ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So this is Christ's church. Um, uh, the church is a group of people under the headship of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're called together by Jesus, and we're joined, all joined to the head, uh, which is Jesus Christ. We're called out of the world into the family of God. Um, and uh, we are people who know God and by his grace assemble together because of our mutual love of the Lord, because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, and we have fellowship with one another. As it says in 1 John 1, 3, we have fellowship with one another. Um, we've been commanded to assemble and to provide in these assemblies the teaching of the word of God and prayer and to practice the Lord's Supper and baptize people. There's our, there's our means of grace right there. Uh, these are all part of the Christian fellowship. Anyways, we are here. We're to preach the gospel. We're to assemble together. Uh, we have been washed by the, by the blood of Jesus. We have fellowship with another. And uh, we've been con- commanded to assemble and provide in the assemblies the teaching of the word of God and prayer and practice uh, the Lord's Supper and baptize people who come to the Lord. You know, um, these are the means of grace and they're all part of Christian fellowship. That's what meant, that's what's meant by church. So the first thing we need to know about the church is that it's not just some community organization. Okay, it's not like a Lions Club. It's not just some community uh, gathering of people that just happen to have something in common. It's, it's the church of Jesus Christ uh, bought by his blood. It was, you know, it, we're here. Uh, uh, Christ paid a great price, as we all know. Okay, we've got, um, we're going to look at the church as a local assembly. Uh, Acts twenty twenty eight. This is the section of, of uh, scripture here where Paul is leaving Ephesus. He's been there uh, for about three years teaching. He established this church. I know uh, John ends up in F- Ephesus when he flees Jerusalem because of persecution and such. He ends up in e- Ephesus as well. This is the, but Paul had established that church. Um, I, I, um, I believe it's generally accepted that John wrote his, probably his gospel and his epistles, epistles from, from Ephesus. 
obviously Revelation, he was on Patmos. But um, Acts 20, 28, Paul calls together the elders he's leaving because of persecution. Um, he says uh, to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We're gonna, um, we are going to uh, discuss here a little bit this group of people here, the elder, they are called three different things here. Uh, they are called elders. Earlier on, I think it's Acts twenty seventeen. He says, "Gather the elders. You, I'm going to, I, I'm going to need to depart here." So we see there that they are called elders. They are also just, um, called uh, a, a uh, overseers, which means they are to care for the flock, and they're called shepherds, which is really the, synonymous with the word pastor. Um, so they are to um, care for the flock and see that they're being fed. Um, again, we see that, the, the, that we are bought with, 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 the, with the blood of Christ. It's not just a social club. It's not something that you just sign a membership card or join an organization to hopefully have a better life. It's, to ban- it's not to get together and, and solve the problems of the world. Uh, the social gospel that we hear so much of, um, you have to come to the church by the blood atonement. And you're not really a part of the church of Jesus Christ unless you've done so. The price that he paid was, uh, was his blood was shed to avert God's wrath uh, against our sin. Right? This is what it's all about. Uh, when, we, when we preach the gospel every Sunday, we believe uh, that God will use the gospel to build his church. As we preach the gospel every Sunday, the Holy Spirit adds to the church day by day. And we see that uh, stated in Acts 2.42-47, which is where we find our, our means of grace when, when Paul was preaching his sermon uh, in the early part of Acts there. The way the church, um, the universal church, that's the way it grows is by, is by preaching the gospel and the Holy, Holy uh, Spirit adding to it day by day. The universal church is all people at all times. That's throughout all history from the day of Pentecost until the end of times. It grows by people being redeemed. Every time a soul is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, uh, the church of Jesus Christ grows. Since the day of Pentecost until the end of history, it will be growing. Um, we, um, martyrdom doesn't stop the church from growing. Martyrdom can send people to heaven, but the church of Jesus Christ still grows. Uh, we are either uh, in the local assembly, the ecclesia here, or if you die, you're in the uh, grand and glorious church, universal and triumphant. So either way, the church grows. And as we see so much persecution now, that's even is more relevant. Um, Persecution might lim- limit the number of people here in the local assembly, but it doesn't hinder the growth of the church. And actually, persecution uh, usually spreads the church. The gospel is spread during persecution. We see that throughout church history. Yes, Brian. You could have church growth and have the numbers and I'm just talking numbers for an individual church. You, you could have, say, 300 people at a church and then five years later have 200 people at the church, but you would still have 
church growth in the spiritual sense. Sometimes the more you preach the true word of God, the less people come to your church, yet people are growing uh, uh, through the uh, grace of God and through the means of grace. Amen. That's right. Yeah, they go out possibly start to other churches they move whatever ever but if they are they have they have been generally converted right they're preaching the gospel our local assembly may not stay the same could grow could be less um but they're out there preaching in, in the in, in the the church universal is is growing um let's see here it's good for us always to share the gospel because it's what god uses for church growth he will redeem people through the blood of the lamb why do we talk about the blood so much? Well, it rep- it's representative of the laid down life. Without it, there's no remissions of sins, as it tells us in Hebrews 9.22. Um, we see um, in Hebrews 10.4, there is a sacrificial system. I mean, we see there was the blood in the Old Testament, and uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews refers to that in Hebrews 10.4. But he tells us that the blood of bulls and goats is not, sufficient it's not efficacious you know that all looked forward to the one offering uh that god would accept and that's jesus the perfect blameless innocent victim he is the one who is brings us to god how we have a relationship with god um we hear john three sixteen uh quoted so much and almost everybody anyone who has any sort of uh uh um idea of what christianity is or what uh, what, what the bible might have to say probably knows uh, john three sixteen, uh, but they really don't even understand it you know they, they they're saved from what that's always the question you know i've been saved it's not that we just sign a card but people don't really think that all the way through they don't they don't know that we're saved from the wrath of god um and one thing i want to touch on here we know that uh, god gave his only begotten son um, this is a little bit of something. If the, if, if the Mormons or the Jehovah's or anybody comes to your door, what is the only begotten son? What does that mean? Because the uh, Mormons in particular, I've had them come to my door more than once. They'll uh, say that God is a created being, and they, they, they've interpreted this word you know, as begotten, as, as a created being. Well, what begotten means is, is the u- unique one, the only one of it, his kind. There is no one else like Jesus Christ. He is not a created being, and uh, that's the that's the right understanding of, of a begotten Son. So remember that when they come to your door, it does, Christ is not a created being. Well, their theology is so messed up. I can't believe that it's grown like it has. I don't know. It's 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 beyond my understanding. They think God was just one of out, the the Father of Jesus Christ is just one of a he was created as well. I believe he came from the planet Kolob. <laughs> um, and so it's, uh, he was a created being, and we all get to be gods with our own universe and our own. So uh, and Joseph Smith had a great imagination for sure. Absolutely. Truly. I don't understand it, you know, uh, how... People can believe that. Um, it's just they don't dig into the true word. They've been deceived. Satan is clever. He is clever. He's deceived so many people. Yep. Yep. Okay, we see um, here, be on guard. 
Hang on, my screen changed on me again. I guess we're, I'm going to go down to Romans 16. We use, we use this term here to show the church is used for all local assemblies. Um, also, all the church of the Gentiles, we can see Paul here is emphasizing. Um, um, it reads, Romans 16, 4, for who, whom my life risk their own necks, to whom not only I do give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So we see Paul being inclusive of all people, all, all the churches, and he was uh, writing this to um, show the church is used for all local assemblies. Okay, we'll talk about the church universal and glorified here quickly. Ephesians 5.27 reads that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Uh, we're not limited to the, uh, to the local assembly, as we discussed. Uh, the church here is shown as the bride of Christ, gathered together throughout church history at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is we, what we have to look forward to. The church here uh, is, uh, is assembled in perfect holiness, amen, uh, and fully fit to be with the Lord. It, uh, so that's, again, glorified church. All the people in the church universal and glorified. Um, Hebrews 12.23 reads, To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That's what we have to look forward to, and uh, that's how we will be. And we do look forward to the marriage of the Lamb. It's our hope. Okay, now we've got a theological term here that uh, is the visible and invisible uh, church. This is the last slide we're going to be looking at in regards to the church. We'll get back into our uh, uh, Thessalonian uh, scriptures here in a bit. Um, we'll read 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are all not of us. Paul, or Bob is teaching us through First uh, John here. And uh, so this is timely here. Um, what this verse implies is at any point in history, there very well may be uh, people who say they are Christians and maybe even think they are Christians, but they really aren't. Uh, in fact, if we think about the 12 disciples, uh, when they went ministering with each other, they thought they were 12 people. You know, uh, they all thought that they were the Lord's. Uh, but Judas went out from them because he was not of them. He only outward, outwardly appeared to be a Christian. And we know that this, this is true. You know, we have it in the scriptures. Uh, again, this the visible and invisible church is a theological term. Um, so all we can do, we do not know. The Lord knows who, who, are, who, who, who is his. Right? We don't. Um, if pe people outwardly display the signs of being redeemed, you know, they're willing to, and they're willing to state their faith in Christ and agree to the terms of the new covenant, we're fine with that. That's great. That's all we can do. You know, that's, uh, we, uh, our membership here, that's what we require of people. Again, we cannot be absolutely sure of, of who is saved and who is not. Um, but it could be, and it does happen, that some of those really aren't of us. 
You know, at some point in time, they will apostatize. You know, they'll go away more than likely. They will apostatize and go away and no longer. And they're not going to uh, stay true to the gospel. Um, If we do the things that God wants us to do, if we nurture the invisible church, if we nurture uh, those uh, that truly are the Lord's, we, we just feel that the visible church will take care of itself. We can only do what we can do. Um, let's see, it's never our job to fill up the visible church by watering down the message, uh, giving uh, 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 nothing that's offensive, not preaching the blood of Christ, which is what we so you see so widespread in our, in our uh, culture now, in our world. Making sure it's nothing offensive. Uh, we 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 bring in sell the pipe organ and uh, you know bring in the modern music rock band. Um, uh, teach best life now sermons and uh, um, uh, uh, psychology felt needs. I was sat in a church for twenty some odd years that would 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 preach those type of messages and, and uh, just tiptoe up the line about God's judgment and being a sinner and but then back off and never never truly want to offend you and let you know everyone was okay you know didn't want didn't want to offend anybody uh, that church ended up going emergent uh, seek, seeker friendly uh, the, um, they were selling Rob Bell uh, um, uh, Books and and Brian McLaren recommending them for further study uh, to accompany the Gospels. It was uh, they were panentheistic, um, in which we see so much. Which is you know God is everything and in everything. There's no separation between the Creator and His creation. Um, just terrible, awful things. You want to preach that type of thing, make people feel good. You can you can get your numbers up, but uh, we preach the gospel here. Um, week after week. Um, and if you can tolerate hearing the gospel every week, welcome. You just, you know, you just may be one of the redeemed, right? The Lord knows who are his, and uh, we don't know that for certainty. Um, but there we go. This is that, that, this, that, that is the church right there, and, and how Paul explained it in the terms of the new covenant. Back to our scriptures here in... Uh, Second Thessalonians, we are uh, verses 1, 1 through 2. We're going to look at Paul's salutation. I've got highlighted in red here the words, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the word in is the first one I have highlighted here. What that refers to is genuine conversion. In God our Father and Lord Je- the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes the very clear point that this church is in God and in Christ. This is the mystery that Paul unfolds in Ephesians 3.9 and Colossians 3.1-3, through 3, where he talks about um, the union that we have. And this is also in mind what he has in mind in Galatians 2.20. Um, don't know, we're kind of running short on time, but... Can we get someone to, to read those those scriptures? Does anyone want to do Ephesians three nine? We have that ready. Um, and Colossians three one three three. Tim, can I get you to, to uh, read something? Can you read read? Uh, I'm going to have you look up Colossians three one through three. Uh, Brian, you've got the microphone. Can you do Ephesians three nine? 
And uh, someone want to do uh, Galatians 2.20? I know Bob can't. Uh, Nancy, want to do Gal- Gal- Galatians 2.20? Thank you. What we're going to be looking on here, looking at is... Um, the union that we have with Christ, being in Christ, and the mystical life union that we have with Jesus Christ, okay? And it marks our identity as true, genuine believers. Ephesians 3.9, who did I give that to? Uh, I have it right here. Thank you, Brian. Ephesians 3.9 starts in the middle of the uh, sentence, and to, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So Jesus Christ has has come and enlightened that mystery, and we are in Christ. Colossians 3, 1, 3, that's Tim. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on earth. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. Here we see the same thing, you know, hidden in Christ with God. Um, so, and then Nancy has Galatians 2.20. Yep. You've been slacking off too much, Brian. Galatians 2.20. Yes. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. It's one of the first scriptures (laughs) that I memorized. Um, We are in Christ. So it draws that idea out. We see the mystical life union that we have with Jesus Christ, and it marks our identity as true, truly genuine believers. We are in God, in Christ, sharing a common union of life with them both. Um, so he's saying you're not only gathered into a place called Thessalonica, you're not only gathered into a place that's called the church, uh, but you're enfolded into God and you're enfolded into Jesus Christ. This is, you know, the, how we are regenerate. This is how we're re- redeemed. This is, we see here, with the, we're a believing church when we have when we have, we are in God and in Christ, and uh, um, um, so it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. If you, we'll also now look at the word "our" in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Father, was used uh, again. You got to remember, he's writing to uh, uh, persecuted believers here. Uh, they were under great persecution. This was to emphasize that God is the Father of believers. Um, and uh, according to John MacArthur that I, that I studied a little bit, he made the, the reference point that, uh, that um, our God, God as Father, is not really stressed that much in the New Testament. I think we uh, have grown up so much on the Lord's Prayer in our day where we just think of God as our Father all the time. It's different than, uh, than it was in the New Testament writings. Um, it's not emphasized all that much. And I think in our culture and stuff, we, we, we know God is our Father. Uh, um, but John made the point that this was really encouraging to the Thessalonians. He's really trying to stress here, you, God, is your Father. This should be a comfort to you. Um, then Paul goes on to say here, 
grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's doing there is he's wishing upon them continued experience of grace, continued experience of peace, which are theirs because they have a life union with God and a life union with Christ. Grace is the Greek word uh, used for a greeting, uh, and peace, shalom, is the Jewish uh, word. For, greet, for a greeting word, and uh, Paul puts these two together, and it becomes, you know, it's all-inclusive. All he's, he's saying grace and peace, you know, uh, uh, um, greetings, the Greek understood that, and shalom to the Jews, he's combining this, he's making it all-inclusive. Um, and these writings here were some of Paul's earliest writings, the Thessalonians, uh, um, Possibly the Galatians, the letter to the Galatians was before the Thessalonian letters. Um, and if, if you look in the, the letter to uh, the Galatians, this greeting in here, grace and peace, uh, wasn't there. It was later on, a little bit later on, he said grace and peace to the Galatians. That was a very harsh letter that he wrote. Um, but from this point forward, this salutation is used in all of uh, Paul's uh, letters. So it's just kind of this is when he developed it from here, every, this point forward. You'll see that salutation in all of his, all of his letters. Um, by grace we know God, and the gospel has come to us. By grace we live day by day, and we have peace with God because of what he has done for us. Okay, uh, looking now at Galatians uh, 1, or, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. We ought to... We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Here we start looking at the growth of the church of, the, of Thessalonica. Um, they are growing in faith, um, and they're super growing in faith. He's really trying to encourage these people now. He's heard that, you know, they're growing, their faith and love is growing, uh, um, and they're under persecution, and he is um, um, trying to comfort them. He uses a prefix on the growth, and he, he, he prefixes of hyper. They are growing beyond expectations. Uh, they are under tremendous persecution. The, the disciples are driven away because of the hatred of the Thess Thessalonians. Um, but in the midst of all that, in this terrible city, as we described, with all the crime, and they were hated, they lost their jobs in many instances, um, this assembly of believers whose faith is greatly enlarged, and they're showing great love for one another. And uh, this is uh, 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 the case, you know. And if it's true that God is working in people's lives and we can see signs of genuine faith in someone and that God is working in someone or an assembly of someone's, then we are, then we are under obligation, according to this passage, you know, to give thanks to God for that genuine faith. Um, it's a wonderful thing when God is working in someone's life. It's wonderful and exciting when God changes lives. Um, Baptisms are a, are a wonderful thing, you know. Uh, they're a joyful thing when, we, when, we, when that person makes that outward commitment of what's been an in, in, inward truth that they have come to love the Lord. Yes, Nancy. Just, this person Holman says, faith, your faith is flourishing. Yeah. Kind of I love that one, yeah. So, yeah, I'll, or I'll reiterate that. You know, Nancy uh, mentioned that... Uh, um, 
the, the Holman's version uses the word flourishing. So it's hyper, hyper growing beyond what Paul had ex uh, uh, expected. Boy, I'm running really short on time here. Um, uh, but go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Eric. You all, I, uh, yeah, I just, you know, since we're talking just a little bit, I thought, you know, this is the church growth movement that we could get behind. Amen. That's that, we, that we enlarge our faith and our love for one another. That's true. So I could say I'm in favor of church growth. We are. You we know? really are. Again, Christ adds to it as we preach the gospel. Amen. Yep. That's right. Is there anything greater than God bringing people into his family? Right? People's lives being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we're under obligation, according to this verse, uh, to thank God that he is working in people's lives. It's fitting that we do so. Um, we're going to be spending eternity with all these people. Uh, this is our, 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 our eternal home, so we have that to look forward to. It's not just the local assembly, but all the saints through all the ages, you know. Um, faith is, 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 is enlarged beyond on measure, and Paul had prayed for this. Um, um, and uh, the more they were persecuted, the stronger their faith became. Genuine faith cannot be destroyed. If we look at 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7, can I get someone to read that very quickly? Uh, how about, you got the mic, someone close to, Peter's got it. 1 Peter, Peter wants to read Peter. Uh, 1, 5 through 7. And uh, we're going to see here, the more Satan attacks uh, people, the stronger their faith got. Not in this one Peter one five through seven, who are kept by the power excuse me of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, and this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much precious being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Their faith cannot be destroyed. You know, it's, it, it, we're going to see coming up here in a little bit uh, that we are born of imperishable seed. Um, but... Satan attacks us nonetheless. He hates God and he hates people that love God. We are under attack in this world and we certainly see that more and more all the time. Um, Paul is stressing here. He wants them to know that this is not just empty flattery, that uh, um, these words of his are based in reality. They're based in truth. He's seen their growth. Um, he wants to make sure that they know that he's not just in a common vernacular, blowing smoke, right? Um, we who are adopted in the family of God ought to love each other, right? Uh, we're, we're to take care of each other. We're supposed to be there for one another. Uh, we're supposed to um, care for one another. We have a deep obligation um, I'm getting a little bit lost here. I'm sorry. Persecution not only strengthened and fine-tuned their faith and love for one another. Um, um, 
So we need to, we're under deep obligation to, 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 to thank people when we see that. We're bound under personal obligation and compulsion because of the character of your life as a church. Because this is what Paul is telling them. This is where he, where he doesn't want this. He wants to make sure that it's not empty flattery. He's telling them, we are bound to give you uh, thanks uh, um, because your, your faith is always increasing um, and, and it is uncorruptible. We're always to uh, con- congratulate you. But I'm sorry, it's not, not you, not the people in the body who Paul is actually thanking when we thank people. He's, he's thanking God for the work that he's done in them. Um, this is a model church. It's such a wonderful church that we ought unceasingly, as it says in our scripture here, without hesitation at all times to give thanks to God for what he is doing. We're not, we're not, we're not giving congratulations to the people. We're, we're thanking God for what he's done in them. Um, it's only fitting that we do so. Why? Uh, because their faith is greatly enlarged. And that is what God has done. Here we're, we look at... Uh, indestructible faith. James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's what Peter had read in 1 Peter. Uh, The word testing has to do with being put into a crucible. If you think about, I always think of the the pharmacist grounding something up in a bowl and, and it put into a crucible ground up to see what's in it. You know, it, 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 and it, it, there's also an analogy of gold. If putting fire to gold will not destroy it, it just purifies it. There's an, an analogy, analogy in Malachi about God being a purifier in Malachi 3.3. 3. It, it reads, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So they they have purified, and then they bring uh, offerings of righteousness to the Lord. This is analogous to genuine faith, which is a saving faith, which has an object, which is God, and particularly his son, Jesus Christ. Um, It's a faith that believes what God has said and trusts in him. It includes all the aspects of faith, which is knowing him, giving assent to him, and trusting in him. That's the genuine faith. Um, when we go into the trials and the fires, um, the smelting cannot destroy our faith. It is from God. It's not based on, on anything about you, not on your personal tenet. Uh, temperament. It's not some natural faculty that you have or that someone else uh, has. It's not some built-in character or quality um, that some, hap- some people have and some don't based on genetics. Genuine faith is a gift from God. And coming from God is something that will produce endurance when it's tested. Uh, we are commanded to believe and we're commanded to nurture the faith that is given to us. And uh, we're not to think that genuine faith is for other people, you know, uh, that, uh, that are, aren't like yourself, that they're, some, they're just, oh, they're someone who went to seminary or whatever. They're, they're the general article, and I'm not. No, it's given to us by God, and it is genuine. Um, um, there are people that um, have gone through trials and who, before the fact, 
would never have believed they could have made it through the trial. But then after the fact, they say, I can't believe it. But God kept me. I don't know how. Uh, um, but he did. And their strength is uh, proven to be true. And it is strengthened. And they are encouraged by that. Um, that's what genu genuine faith is like. It, it endures. And it's growing. Uh, Romans 4, 19 and 20. Uh, we th this is regarding Abraham, um, who believed God. Uh, it, the scripture reads, And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Yeah, that's about dead. Uh, um, and the deadness of Sarah's womb... Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Oh, thank you, Eric. I, don't, I know you're really short on time, but I was just thinking last night, God was encouraging me with, you know, I was thinking of the son and uh, who he is different than, you know, so it says, he says to those who believe in him, you know, we're his brothers uh, to, who obey God and do his will. And I was thinking, you know, I was talking a lot with, the Muslims, and they, they're always, you know, show me, where does it say Jesus is God, you know? Ah. And uh, Jesus says it, you know, so many times in, right. you know, it, it's not, he never says, you know, the, the very words that they want to say, but, you know, he says, I forgive sins. And, you know, they say, well, you blaspheming. Well, no, he's not, because he's God. He says to the sea, be still, and it's still. And, you know, it's like, well, who has authority to say that but God? You know, he's the one that Amen. created everything, it says in John. Uh, and, you know, it's That's like right. saying he is the son of God. And I was also thinking, you know, through, he also, he dwells in us as well. And so it's like, and that's, I, I was just kind of thinking of, of the difference. It's like he calls us, Jesus is God, but he's not, and he calls those who do the will of the Father his brothers, but we're not by any means God. We're, although he does dwell in us, he does, Amen. and yep. he calls us his children, right. although he's the son of God and he's, well, only God, it says uh, in somewhere that he will make his enemies his footstool, only of the Son of God. And, you know, it's like, and so it's, I was just kind of thinking of, you know, he, he, does, he does call us, he does, he buys us, and he, and he dwells in us. But the fullness of God is Jesus. And he says, you know, and he says to the disciples, he says, you know, he say, show us the Father, it'll be enough for us. He says, well, how can you say, show us the Father, when, you know, he's, yeah. he's like, I yeah. I've been here. Yeah. Yes, you've seen me. You've seen God. Yes, yeah, thank you, Eric. Mentioning. Yep. Yeah, and actually, in our in our in our scripture reference here, we, it says in God and in Jesus Christ. You know, um, that's putting him on equal footing with God. You know, I mean, it's it's showing that he's he's divine. He's uh, so it's right in our in our in our verse that we're looking at today. Um, <clears throat> you need to know through the Bible what the promises of God are. And uh, what is and what is not promised. When you understand what is promised, there is something that is something that you can believe and rely on. And I know we 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 say here we want us to understand the promises of God, so we can apply them to our lives and we can live them out, believe them and, and live them out. Um, and you know, we see errors all over the church. Uh, for instance, the health and wealth gospels. Uh, one of their errors, I believe, is 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 that you know they're claiming certain things like God promises to make every Christian wealthy. Well, God didn't promise that. 
And uh, um, um, it's good to put faith in God's promises, but if you're putting faith in a promise that God didn't give, you may end up being disappointed. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of people that are believing that wealth, health and wealth thing, and uh, it's not working for them. I don't know how long they stick with it, but uh, I guess you keep tithing. You keep giving money. The more you give, the, you know, the more likely it is you're going to, you're going to hit the jackpot eventually. Um, the promise that God gave Abraham was real and that through his seeds, the nation would be blessed. God showed him, the, showed him the stars in the skies and said his descendants would be like that. And Abraham believed God. We see that in Genesis 15, 6, um, um, that uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, so... That has to do with a whole nother doctrine, a whole nother teaching. The point is, he Genesis did did believe God, uh, and we grow in faith by believing the promises of God as found in the Bible and trusting God and obeying Him as we go through life. It is ten o'clock. I cannot believe it. I'm on slide twelve of nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. I would do that. You know, if yeah, sure, that would be. Great, I could refine it a little bit more, actually practice it a little bit more, and uh, 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 uncancel. We're going to uncancel Sunday school uh, next week then. Good, for those of you who are still here. <laughs> thank, thank you, guys. Um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to time this so well. It's going to work out good, I guess. It was, it was uh, the way it was supposed to be. I will close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time that we've had to spend together and look into your word and uh, to look at some of your promises, to look what, uh, at what you think is commendable in a church. We look forward to next week getting together and uh, exploring these things further. We ask that uh, uh, you, again, as we get together with our friends and family, um, that we can be good examples of what you would have us be, what, a, what genuine faith looks like, that you would... Uh, Allow us opportunities to speak to our family and friends and loved one in a kind and gentle and uh, um, manner that would actually be attractive to them, that we could sit down and explain your truths of the Bible and hopefully show them some of their uh, um, errors in thinking in regards to it. We ask that everyone here would have safe travel, those who are traveling over the week. Uh, and, uh, and so you bless our time the rest of our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. No, thank you.